Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of Intermediate English with me, Benjamin. This is a podcast for people learning English, people who want to learn about a particular topic at the same time. If you're listening to this, you already know that English is one of the most important global languages. But today we're going to talk about a different language, one which didn't evolve naturally, but which was created. The idea of a created language is maybe a bit of an unusual one because when we speak a language, we all collectively create it. Languages are living things. So when we speak it or write it, we leave a little bit of our own personality on it, like leaving a fingerprint. Over time, these changes catch on, they spread, and the language begins to change. That's why there are so many differences in languages, even those which have similar roots. But not all languages evolve naturally. Some are created, and the most widely spoken constructed language is Esperanto. So what is Esperanto? Esperanto is a language which is spoken by around 2 million people across the world. It was invented in 1887, and it was intended originally as an international language. It's basically a mix of two different language families. The vocabulary mostly comes from Romance languages, which means that it shares properties with Latin, Italian, French, Spanish, etc. But the grammar is borrowed from Slavic languages, such as Polish and Russian. Today, it's by far the most successful constructed language. It's been on the language learning app Duolingo since 2015. And although numbers are unclear, millions of people have started courses in Esperanto on Duolingo. There are Esperanto conferences around the world. They have things like flag-passing ceremony. Yes, they have their own flag. Also, the Chinese government publishes daily news in Esperanto, and the Vatican has an Esperanto version of its website. So it's used maybe a little bit more than you think. To find out more about Esperanto, I called up Richard Delamore in Sydney, Australia. He makes YouTube videos about his daily life or subjects which interest him, all of them in Esperanto. He's pretty well known in the Esperanto community and he's very knowledgeable about the subject. So I'd like to play you some of our conversation. This is an authentic conversation and because it's an interview, we aren't really being careful to speak particularly slowly. So don't worry if you don't understand everything. Just pick up what you can.
Hi, Richard. G'day, mate. Hi, how are you doing? Yeah, good, good. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for speaking with us. Um, I just wanted to start off by asking you about how you found out about Esperanto and can you remember the first time that you heard about it? Um, yeah, so I was, I was at work and it was during a break and for several years on and off I had been trying to learn new languages. So I tried French, I tried Japanese, but nothing really stuck, like nothing drew my interest. And one day I was on Wikipedia and I was just reading about languages in general and I stumbled across something that said international languages. So I was like, oh, okay, I assumed it was just English. So I clicked on that and I found out that there was actually a whole field of designed languages designed to solve the international language problem. And it was through going through those links that I basically found out that the only serious attempt and the only one that has like a large speaker base was Esperanto. So I thought I'd give it a try and I did a couple of lessons and I figured that, wow, I could actually speak a little bit of this after a few hours of effort. So I just kept going down that path basically. Great. So that's what made you want to learn it, to be able to communicate with other people more easily? Uh, more just to prove to myself that I'm not stupid and I can learn another language. <laughs> okay, so great. So I picked the easiest. And do you speak any other languages as well? Um, well, I speak conversational Mandarin now because my wife is Chinese. Uh, so I guess I've kind of proved it to myself after all in the end, but yeah. Great. Could you tell me a little bit about what Esperanto is and how it's different from other languages? Okay, so Esperanto is a designed language. It first appeared in 1887 as a booklet. And basically, it was designed to be an easy-to-learn language that took on uh, aspects of the different international languages at the time, which was like French, Latin, German, English some Russian and a bunch of other languages of Europe because that was basically the center of the world at the time, at least according to the Europeans. And it wanted to be just easy because at the time people were like, well, if you want science, you go to German. If you want diplomacy, you go to French. And if you want to speak to your local citizens, you maybe you go Russian or Polish. So everyone had to learn like a bunch of languages. And what was also happening is people were sticking to their language groups and there was a lot of fighting between the language groups. So the person who created Esperanto, or I, I suppose, like, started this whole language, uh, his name was Zamenhof, and he figured, look, if everyone had the same language, maybe there'd be a chance of us not fighting so much. So he created something that was easy to learn, and it was international in a sense. It wouldn't take sides realistically, and it would be something that would help bring people together. So that was basically it. Okay, and where was Zamenhof from? Okay, so he was from Poland, which at the time was part of Russia. Um, and in the town where he was living, I think like in his family, he spoke uh, Russian, uh, Yiddish. Um, he also had to learn Hebrew because he was Jewish. And then there was also German that he had to learn. He had to learn Latin, French. So he had a whole heap of languages under his belt. And are there different versions of Esperanto or is it completely the same no matter where you are in the world? The core of Esperanto, what 99% of the language is exactly the same, but there is regional like slang that's used by like say that group or this group or that group or intergenerational slang that exists. But overall, it's the exact same language no matter where you go. 
Uh, like if you go to China, Japan, Brazil, and you speak Esperanto with a proficient speaker, it's the same language. Okay, that's really interesting. And could you tell me about how Esperanto speakers speak to each other? Because you live in Sydney, right? I guess yes. there aren't a lot of Esperanto speakers in Sydney. Uh, there's actually a fair few. I'd say there's probably like a hundred plus that I know about. Okay. There's, there's more than that. Um, realistically, okay, so most of my friends are Esperanto speakers just because that was kind of the group I first met up with when I came to Sydney. So like pretty much my entire friend circle are Esperanto speakers here. So it's not a problem for me. I think the only person who doesn't speak Esperanto is my wife, but she knows <laughs> what I'm talking about her. So that's enough. Um, but yeah, it's not an issue here. In any major city, you're going to find a couple of hundred speakers, no problem. Okay. So one thing that you mentioned is that there are some slightly different versions of Esperanto and you mentioned the word slang. So yeah. an informal type of Esperanto. Could you give me some examples of how Esperanto slang has developed or, you know, why it exists? Okay. So it, it's like anything. Um, I'll give you an example of one word, moyosa which is the Esperanto version of the English cool, okay? So back in, this is like one of those rare slang words where they actually know the history of it. So here what happened is back in about 2005, I think it was, uh, there was a bunch of young Esperanto speakers who met up in Europe and they were talking and then, you know, a couple of them threw in the English word cool and it was like, it's a little bit stunted to throw an English word into Esperanto. So they were just like discussing them among themselves how they could express this idea of something that's cool. And it was just meant to be like a little in-group thing. So they added three words together and made like an acronym, which is like moderna, which means uh, modern, yuna, young, stilo, style. So modern youth style, basically. So moderna, yuna, stilo became moyosa. And they were just going to leave it at that and just have it as an in-group thing, but it literally spread through the Esperanto community and pretty much anyone anywhere knows it. And the biggest Esperanto courses actually now teach it, so it's not really slang in a sense anymore because you can find it in dictionaries. Has Esperanto been affected by the internet a lot? Oh yeah, so I would say uh, the Esperanto community has grown in waves and shrunken in waves over time, so like when it first appeared uh, it exploded just prior to World War One. Everyone was very idealistic, you know, the, the future is now, we're going to make a better world type of thing. And then, of course, World War One came along and said, yeah, no, that's not happening. Um, and then the Esperanto community basically just crashed and died off because everyone was like torn apart by the wars. Then after World War One ended, it kind of came back through this resurgence thing. Then World War Two tore it apart again. And then it went through different surges in different parts of the world. So for instance, um, Esperanto is, uh, it, it's, it takes on different meanings in different groups. Like it was part of a lot of different communist groups. It was part of a lot of different religious groups. And then it was part of um, like just like the hippie lifestyle as well, you know, peace and love. So there's been different points in time where it's taken off. But once the internet hit, that's when it just became accessible to everyone. And now you find pretty much anyone from any group that speaks it, you'll be surprised. And have there ever been any attempts to make Esperanto an official language of a state or an organization? Well, okay, so there's no like state officialization. Um, there's like a, an old story of a place called uh, Amikeyo, which means like place of friendship, kind of a weird name in English. But um, this was like just prior to, I think, World War II, 
uh, there was like some territory just between maybe Poland and Germany or something. It was like it was like at a crossroads where both countries didn't claim that little spot. And there was a lot of Esperanto speakers there who started like to set up their own little nation thing and then World War II happened and kind of wiped it out. So that was a close officialization. There was also the League of Nations, which uh, for those who don't know, the League of Nations came before the United Nations. And it was actually proposed, I believe, by uh, the Japanese Esperanto-speaking diplomats um, to try and get Esperanto as the official language of the League of Nations, which would have made it like a worldwide official language. Pretty much every nation signed up, except for the French, because they said French is the international language and it will always be the international language. So they vetoed it and then Esperanto went off the radar there. It's kind of funny now because now English has taken over and there's a lot of Esperanto speakers in France, but yeah. Okay, that's great, thank you. Um, I was just wondering about Esperanto conferences because I've heard that these are events where Esperanto speakers meet up from all over the world. Have you ever been to any? Uh, yes, I've been to quite a few, I guess. I, the first big conference I went to was here in Australia, um, and I pretty much primarily met Australian, New Zealand, Indonesian Esperanto speakers. Uh, after that, I went to Poland, and in Poland I met a lot of European Esperanto speakers. Um, I've also gone to China, South Korea, um, also to Indonesia where they have their own conference. Um, I've got around a fair bit. I've gone to a few conferences, yes. What are these conferences like? Well, each one's different. Like some of them are like music festivals. Like you literally just go there and it's Esperanto musicians playing Esperanto music and just young people being young people. And then other ones, like the one I went to in South Korea, they were more like a, um, a formal meetup of diplomacy and international politics and learning. They're very, very different. Like you can find a conference for whatever you're interested in. Sure. Okay. And are Esperanto speakers just like normal people? Or do you notice that there are certain personal qualities that stand out? Um, I would say overall that most Esperanto speakers are just open-minded people who want to just try something different. Uh, you get a lot of different people. Like one of the Esperanto speakers I met over in Germany, uh, she spoke Esperanto because her parents spoke Esperanto and her kids speak Esperanto and their great-grandparents -grand, great spoke Esperanto. So it's just a family language for them. It's, that's all it is. Uh, then you get others that are very idealistic and then you get others where they're just, I, I guess, very fascinated in one topic and others are just, I don't know, I hope I'm normal, so me. <laughs> so lots of people think that Esperanto is only spoken as a second language, but they're are a very small number of people in the world who speak it as a native language, right? Yeah, so there's um, last estimate, which was like 15 plus years ago, maybe longer, uh, there was 2,000 known Esperanto-speaking natives. So basically they speak it natively along with whatever their country's language is. Um, I've met a few of them, like there's one that lives here in Sydney, um, and I've had a few that have like they've visited and have spoken with. So yeah, there is a few, but they're not the majority. And how does that come about that it's actually started to be a native language rather than just a second language? So I guess imagine this situation. Uh, there's two Esperanto speakers and they meet at an international conference. One comes from, say, Australia and one comes from China. And the one in China doesn't speak English and the one in Australia doesn't speak Chinese. So they met through Esperanto. The only language that they share and fell in love through is Esperanto. So they use Esperanto. Um, naturally their child grows up and if they grow up in China they speak Chinese, English and Esperanto. Great and do you think that technology is going to help 
to change Esperanto in the future as well. Can you imagine any ways that Esperanto might continue to develop? Well, the good thing with technology in Esperanto is that it's very easy to teach Esperanto. It was designed to be taught through a pamphlet type of thing. It's grown a lot since then, so you need like a book now to learn it um, in depth. Uh, but because it was designed to be easy to learn, you've got all these apps that are designed for teaching complex languages like English and Chinese. It's a very easy process to then simplify those and teach Esperanto. So the more the internet basically takes over the world, the more it helps Esperanto. Could you tell me a couple of basic phrases in Esperanto? Things like, hello, how are you, stuff like that. Okay, so if you want to say hello in a formal way, and how are you, you would say, saluton, kiel vi fartas, which means, hello, how are you faring, how are you? But if you just mm. want to be young, hip and cool, you'd say, sal, kiel vi. Sal is like a shortened saluton, so sal, mm. kiel vi. And how would you say what your name is? How would you say, hello, my name is Richard? So I'd say, sal, that's hello, me, I, nomijas, am named or being named, Richard. So, sal, me, nomijas, Richard. Great. And if anyone is interested in learning Esperanto, could you tell them how they could go about doing that? What's the way you would recommend the most? Okay, so... It depends on your learning style, but the websites I recommend, or the apps and websites, the app Duolingo has a great course for learning Esperanto. It will give you um, the, the, like, the recordings there are from really proficient speakers, and it goes quite in depth, and it's available in a few languages. If you're more like the book type and you like the grammar and getting into it, then there's a great website that's called learnu.net, and that's L-E-R-N-U, and either of those two, great starting and as soon as you get into those they actually both recommend further resources you can take great and would you like to tell people how they can find your videos and find out about you on youtube okay so a uh, little bit of warning i'm a esperanto vlogger so i make random videos in esperanto uh basically just about my daily life my gripes last recently there's been a lot of gripes um, and I just like randomly chat, but I also go to these conferences we spoke about and I've filmed them. So if you want to follow me and not understand a word I'm saying, but just like not a lot, uh, you can go to YouTube and search for Evil Deer. That's E-V-I-L-D-E-A. And you'll find my YouTube channel. Fantastic. Richard, thank you so much for speaking to us today. No problem, mate. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you'd like to see the full interview with Richard, you can go to YouTube and search Intermediate English. We went into a bit more depth on a couple of topics, so I'd recommend it if you'd like to find out more about Esperanto. By the way, thank you for your emails. It's really touching to get so many positive responses and to hear about your lives. Next time, I'll read out an email on the podcast. So if you're sending me an email now, let me know if you're happy for me to read it out. The email address is intermediatepods at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to tell your friends about it and review it on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Stay safe and see you next week.